Hello, and welcome to Longwood GradCast Beyond a Degree. I'm your host and Assistant Dean of the College of Graduate and Professional Studies, Dr. Sarah Tanner Anderson. In this series, we'll dive deep into the stories of Longwood University's graduate and professional studies alumni, students, and faculty who are achieving remarkable success. Whether you're an aspiring graduate student, a proud alum, or simply curious about the extraordinary journeys our Longwood graduates take beyond their degree, this podcast is your backstage pass to the transformative power of education coupled with determination. Get ready to be inspired, motivated, and awed by stories that prove there are no limits to what a Longwood Lancer can achieve. Hello, and welcome to our next episode of Longwood GradCast Beyond the Degree. We are excited to welcome Kevin Napier to share his time and talents with us today. And Kevin, it's always such a pleasure chatting with you. Could you start by sharing a little bit about your background? So like me, you're a double alum. Um, What led you to pursue a master's degree at Longwood University? Sure. First of all, Sarah, thanks for having me on today and all the great work you do for the leadership program at Longwood. We really do appreciate it, especially us Longwood alums. But yeah, so I first stumbled upon Longwood because my mother is a Longwood alum, graduated in 1988. Hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast and hear the date, but I'll put her on blast. And I came to Longwood because I knew it was a great place for educators. That's what I've been told all growing up. And I had a bunch of teachers growing up that were Longwood alum. I knew from sophomore in high school that I wanted to be a teacher. And so that's how I found my way to Longwood. It's the only school I applied to, and it's where I ended up going. I had a great experience as an undergrad. And then once it came to the end of my undergrad experience, I took a job working at Longwood in the Honors College. And Sarah actually had a, a grad student at that time who was Rachel Pata, Rachel Meza now. And she actually was the one who came to me about the grad program and, and said what a great opportunity it was. And I really wasn't thinking about going straight into it, but after talking to Sarah, I was, I was sold after one hour. And I'm, I'm glad I ended up in the program. And we're very glad that you ended up in the program as well. And it's always so interesting to hear pathways both to Longwood and then also beyond Longwood. And so many people wonder about the impact that Longwood degree will have on their futures and what career opportunities might come from a grad program. How has having your master's degree from Longwood really diversified your qualifications and opened up some new doors for you in your career. Absolutely. My career has taken a little bit of shift and we'll get, I'm sure, more into that today. But growing up, I I knew that I wanted to work in administration in in some capacity. Now I'm actually in higher education instead of pre-K through 12 education. Uh, But I knew that at some point I needed that master's degree, right? That master's degree just gives you a leg up um, amongst everybody else. And in the K through 12 setting, and to get your license in administrative and supervision, you obviously need that master's degree. From a salary perspective, that's not why I did it, but it's also nice because even before you get into administration, having a master's degree in most K through 12 districts gives you that little salary bump, uh, which was a benefit at the time. But really just people see when you have a master's degree, they know that you're able to do that extra step and do that extra work that it takes to complete that coursework and, and, and know that you're able to to think at a higher level, right? And then not that people who don't have that degree can't think at a higher level, but it, it's proof that, that you've put in that work and really done the research and, and done the background work to know how to lead in an education environment. And I really felt that the degree was able to do that for me. 
And you've made a tremendous impact on the field of educational leadership. And as you mentioned, it might look a little bit different than you first planned. So I guess tell us a little bit about that since you mentioned that you've shifted into higher education. So you transitioned from a teaching role to working here in the advancement office at Longwood. So can you tell us a little bit about that shift and then maybe how your master's degree played a role in the transition? Sure. So I I came into teaching at a very unique time. When I first graduated from Longwood, I worked over in the Honors College and Admissions at Longwood because I was a December grad. It was a weird time to jump into the K through 12 environment and had an opportunity at Longwood. And, And then after about a year, I went to Henrico County to be a middle school PE teacher. Uh, and then five months later, COVID hit. <laughs> so my my K through 12 education teaching career started off really strange. But af- after that year, I transitioned to, to an elementary school in Henrico County, Knuckles Farm Elementary, and spent a couple of years there and then moved into working in a role as an innovative learning coach for Henrico County and really loved my time uh, in K through 12. Um, but ultimately, what it came down to is I just love Longwood and, and love what it stands for. And so it, it's not that I 100% was not happy with what I was doing. It was just I was ready to go back and surf my home of Mater. And so I was super excited to get to come back to Longwood. And I still get to work with educators on a daily basis. And Longwood being founded as, as a, a school for educators, and I'm working in the advancement office as a, a gift officer. I get to work with donors um, from the who graduated in the 60s and 70s who spent their career as teachers. So it's really unique when I ha- sit down and have conversations about them, kind of comparing and contrasting their experience as educators in, in the 70s and 80s versus what I went through as, as a teacher during COVID timeframe. And having that master's in ed leadership can really help me move those conversations to a deeper level. Being able to understand different aspects of education, whether it's from a social justice perspective or talking about data-driven decision-making or whatever it may be to help lead those conversations down a more in-depth path. I can completely understand. First of all, I'm just so proud of you. I need to to make sure that you know that I'm so proud of you and and all that you have accomplished, but I can absolutely understand wanting to to come back home to your alma mater and work. There's something about this place that just draws you back. Um, But what a fascinating way that you can give back and stay connected in your role as a leadership uh, gift officer. And your title has leadership in it. I love that. And it involves you working here at the advancement office. But how do you think your degree in educational leadership prepared you for the intricacies of the position? It's very different than your role in K through 12. And then how does that set you apart in your field? First of all, in the advancement realm, you work with a lot of different people, right? And in the K through 12 realm, you work with a lot of different people. And so I think in the ed leadership program, one thing that I learned so much was being able to understand people who come from different backgrounds, right? You have to really be able to meet everyone where they are. And, and I feel like that has really helped me in this career in the advancement profession. I was scrolling through social media the other day and I saw a post about someone on the back of their their car that had, please be patient, learning how to drive a stick ship. And, <laughs> and the post talked about how that person that was driving behind them was really patient with them, where otherwise if they didn't have that sign, they might not have been patient with them. And it really got me thinking about kind of an education realm where, you know, if people had a sign on them that said, hey, I didn't, I didn't eat last night, how much more patient would you be with that person? Or I didn't have AC during the summer, how much more patient would you be with that person? 
and really through the Ed Leadership Program and, and really with the social justice frame that the Longwood Program really focuses on, it it got me thinking about a lot of those different things. And, and that helps me in, in turn in the advancement profession, just really working from people from different cultures, different backgrounds and being able to understand and meet them where they are. That's excellent. Excellent connection. But also, it seems like you were aptly suited and very well prepared for this position. If I remember correctly, you are receiving some leadership training of a different variety in addition or maybe in tandem to your grad studies. So can you tell us a little bit about how you were able to balance being a graduate student in the educational leadership program while also being an active member of the National Guard. How did that play out and how did this program help you and how did the National Guard also help you in your leadership development? Absolutely. So I enlisted in the National Guard back in 2015, October of 2015, and went to basic training at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, then straight to advanced training in Fort Gordon in Georgia. And I took some time off from long, I took a semester off and came back. That's why I ended up being a December grad with a fall student teaching. Um, so really back to my time as a student is really where I learned to balance all of those different things going on. Cause I was, you know, student government association president at Longwood as a student. When I came back, I was, you know, balancing training one week in a month, two weeks in the summer with the national guard. So I really had to learn those time management skills. Um, and when it gets to the professional world. I had to balance those even more, especially with the master's program, because you've got to teach all day and then you've got guard training and things going on at night. I was coaching baseball at the time and then trying to figure out how I'm going to work on my data-driven decision-making paper to get that done. <laughs> but Sarah, you really made a big difference in that. I know I was in the first cohort of the program and your patience was immaculate and being able to work around what I had going on. I know that there would be times where I would say, hey, Dr. T.A., I'm going to be away in D.C. for 30 days. Can you work with me? You're like, absolutely. Let's make it work. And I think that's a great thing about Lawwood and not only undergrad, but grad school as well is you don't have 100 people in your class. And I think the personal aspect of, of the grad program is so important. I knew every single person in my cohort, first and last name, knew where they were working, what their role was, and I could text them or call them at any time. And, and the same thing was with you, Dr. T.A. And so you know, while I was balancing a lot at the same time, I was able to make it all work because of the flexibility of the program. And I mean, while I was busy, I feel like I had it. Some of the people in my cohort had three kids or maybe they were working a teacher job and then had another job they went to right after that. So there were a lot of people that were you know, really even busier than I was in the program. Because uh, there's nothing busier in life than having a kid, especially two or three. And I know, Sarah, you can attest to that. But just really the understanding when it came to, hey, this coursework is really important. We have to get it done. But how, how can we make it fit your needs and then also fit the needs of the program? Absolutely. And, and thank you for that, because your perspective is a unique one, but it's also easily relatable. As you mentioned, you were coaching and working and training sure. and we have people who are parents and caregivers and uh, work multiple jobs. And so for people who are wondering whether or not they can balance a graduate program in real life, I appreciate your perspective because you've shown time and again that you could. But I guess to switch gears a little bit, because you mentioned uh, early on that your sort of pathway as an undergraduate and the experiences that you had as an undergraduate shaped you in your graduate program here at Longwood. Can you remember a specific example or a story um, from your time here at Longwood 
that's really shaped you and your career trajectory? So I'll, I'll answer that in kind of two different parts because of two different parts of my career. The health and physical education department at Lawwood, I feel like was really instrumental in, 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 in helping me in, in the K through 12 environment. Uh, the professors that I had were just incredible. Um, and, and one thing about Longwood, I know we're focusing on, on, on the grad program, but what the undergrad I really appreciate is the amount of full-time faculty members that Longwood has. And again, this is, it ties into the grad program because it's a testament to the small class size and the pers- the um, personal aspect of it is getting to know those professors and really being able to go talk to them at any time. And they had so much depth of knowledge in the K through 12 atmosphere. Not only were they involved in Longwood life, but they're also were all leaders in their professional organizations. I got involved with Vapor, which was the Virginia Association of Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance as an undergraduate student, serves as a student rep on their board. I know, Sarah, you serve in, in a multitude of capacities in, in professional organizations. And I think that's important to be able to see what other people around the Commonwealth are experiencing and be able to relate that to your own experience. But then on another token, what helped me as an undergrad for where I am now is my time as SGA president. I really got to work with a lot of leaders at Longwood and got to see what they did to help them be good leaders. I got to work a lot with the Board of Visitors, with President Reebley, with deans of, of, of various colleges. And I always watch, right? You can learn you can learn a lot just from watching people lead. And, and I always try to pick up one, one thing, whether it's a conference I go to, a, a meeting I go to, try to pick up one thing from each leader and tie those into my style. Everybody's got their own style, but it really helped shape me into where I felt like I, I needed to be to, to take my career to the next level. And it seems like Longwood does a fine job, both undergraduate and graduate, of giving you sure. those good examples of, of leadership in lots of different capacities. And so I guess for those considering pursuing a more specialized master's degree, you mentioned you've gone two different pathways before you realized you wanted to go to higher ed. So you've got a unique perspective. What advice might you give about leveraging those different pathways to open doors in whatever career someone may aspire to join? I, I truly believe that a, a good leader in education can also be a good leader in law, a good leader in medicine, a good leader in you know, business or sales or whatever it may be. W- when I applied to work at, at my job back here at Longwood, they saw that I took that next step to get a master's degree. And, and when you and look at the courses, that are, that are embedded in the ed leadership program at Longwood, it really, if you think about it, if you were to take a, a, a degree on how to be a better person, I think that you would take some of those courses. They're just so flexible in how you can use them to better yourself in any profession. And I think that's what I enjoyed so much about the program is that when I was in that program, I knew that I might be in higher ed one day and I still wanted to pursue the program because I knew that wherever career I was in, that it was going to help me and benefit me towards whatever I wanted to do, whether it was taking a a course on school finance. I knew that really in any career, if you're a leader, you're going to have to deal with a budget at some point. So being able to get in the intricacies of, of how to improve your budget, how to look at things and say, hey, maybe that's something we need. Maybe that's something we don't need. Our law course that we took, Again, any profession, you're going to come across legal issues, whether it's uh, dealing with personnel or whether it's dealing with another company or another business. Uh, I've talked about a couple of times with social justice and being able to understand inequities and, and how to 
improve those in your work setting. So I really, I, I knew from the start that wherever my career took me, that the Ed Leadership Mastery Program at Longwood was going to really help elevate my career and my resume. Do you have any advice you might share for someone wondering whether or not they should pursue a master's degree? This is advice my mom gave me. She always said, the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. And from the people that were my cohort can attest to that, but they still made it work. And again, that goes back to Dr. C.A., your flexibility. But coming straight out of undergrad, I knew that I, I, I was confident in what I was doing. I, I was still in the groove of writing papers and I was ready to go. And I've got people I know that are in their early 30s to, to late 30s or even into their 40s. And they're like, ah, Kevin, should I go do it now? I'm like, I'm telling you, the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to go back. So just the best time to get a degree is now. One thing that really drew me to the Longwood program as well was the, the cost of it was I felt like very affordable compared to other programs. I know working in the advancement field, I'm working with donors to endow scholarships every day because higher education costs are continuing to rise. And that's one thing that Longwood on undergrad level and a grad level does really well is making sure they cap those costs as low as they can to make it attainable for as many people as they can. And so I felt like the cost efficiency and the return on investment for the program was a no brainer. And so I think the earlier you do it, the better. I think you're right. I have people who ask all the time, when's the best time to get a grad degree? And it's now, whatever that looks like for you, because I think you're right. It, things happen life changes, uh, but you can always have that degree in your back pocket. So that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. So you've mentioned a couple of times, so I'd like to speak to it a bit more directly about that social justice focus from the Educational Leadership Program. And it seems to have really played a role in all that you do, both in uh, pre-K-12 and also here in higher education. So might you share some specific instances where that social justice focus has really Help you be an advocate, a change agent for good, as we always say in ed leadership in the field of education, maybe even as a coach or now here in higher education. One area where I feel like it, Longwood's program is able to take it to the next level is with the, the Moat Museum we have in town in Farmville. Because for those of you who don't know, it, it, Farmville, Prince Edward schools were closed completely from 59 to 1964. And was really had a lot tied in with the Brown v. Board of Education case. And having the Moat Museum in Farmville, where there was a student-led strike in, in the early to mid-50s, it, it's really unique to have that civil rights era have such a prominent impact in Farmville, where we were able to get a firsthand look at how social justice you know comes into play in the education system. From a personal standpoint, I really just was able to look at things in a different way after the master's program. So I always think that understanding yourself is the most important thing before you try to understand others. You have to understand your own background and where you came from and what led you to where you are. And I grew up in a, in a predominantly white town. That's just what it is. And, and so I wasn't around a lot of different cultures growing up and, and being able to go teach in, in Henrico County, where it was a very diverse county, and then working through the Ed leadership program and understanding different perspectives and different cultures and, and, and how different people grow up and how different people think and what affects them in different ways. I really think that was able to, to help me look more at, at things from a policy perspective. And so many things, it might've been written away that were 20, 30 years ago and, and they've changed. And how as leaders, can we look at some of these things might still work and some of these things might need to be updated a little bit. And I think that that was something unique in our program, you know, having people from all across the Commonwealth 
we were able to have people from North Virginia, people from the Eastern Shore, people from Richmond, people from Newport News come together and really talk about you know, how each of these districts are handling issues and how we can come together and figure out how to best support our students going forward in the future. And you highlighted a, a question that I'd planned to ask in a bit. And so I'm glad you served as a springboard for that. So our cohort model, you mentioned how we have folks from all across the Commonwealth and how that sort of weaves a an intricate tapestry of thought and diversity of thought in ways that a lot of other programs at other universities don't necessarily have. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about that for aspiring educational leaders in particular, how that cohort model and that collaboration with other aspiring educational leaders influenced you in your own leadership development. Could you share a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Again, I I mentioned it earlier, there was a wide age range of of people in our program and and people were very different parts of their career. Now, I was, I believe, the youngest in in the cohorts. I was straight out of college and we had people who graduated from college 25 years ago. And it it was really unique to see where their education careers took them and what they learned along the way. And I was really able to get valuable knowledge from that. The school counselors, there were people who worked in um, special education. There were math teachers. There were specialists in different content areas. And so really, not only from a demographic standpoint, but from a content standpoint, we were able to really come together and understand so many different aspects of the K through 12 education sphere. And then again, being able to to hear how other counties were handling things. I think what was so unique about the time when I was in was obviously the COVID-19 pandemic. And that was so vastly different across the Commonwealth and, and then expanded even more across the country. And being able to hear different things, I was able to take some of those things back and utilize them not only after the program was completed, but during. Being all leadership teams in my school, I was able to say, hey, they've got this going on in Newport News, and this is how they're handling art during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is how they're able to make sure their materials are clean, to make sure they're bringing things to the classroom and making sure they keep the students as safe as possible. It was able to springboard and help me past because I had all these connections across the state of people. And so I knew that if I wanted to go get an admin job in Cumberland, I knew somebody there. If I wanted to go to Fairfax, I knew somebody there. And that was nice to have that. But also just being able to have that knowledge and having somebody you could lean on saying, hey, let me text this person because I want to find out how they're handling this issue at their district. Moving forward from that, when we were doing papers or handling projects, you know, having that small cohort and having people lean on that were going through the exact same thing that we were experiencing was beneficial as well. If you didn't understand something, it was so easy to pick up the phone and call. Whereas in some programs, you might not have that opportunity. And you all really do become a family. And I think that's something that Longwood does very well. Once you are a Lancer, you are always a Lancer and you can go anywhere in the Commonwealth and arguably lots of places across the nation. And if you say Longwood, you're pretty sure bet to find someone who has graduated or a family member who has graduated because we are such a tight knit family. So I love that perspective for aspiring leaders, especially who have connections across the Commonwealth as they step into leadership roles, knowing that you can just pick up a phone and really call anyone um, to get some advice. So that's fantastic. So I I have to ask you, uh, because you did mention that you you started off in teaching, and I hear that you once received an award for being the most unruly, the unruliest teacher award. 
So tell me a little bit about your unruly behavior. It had something to do with your innovative approach to engagement. Yeah. Before I got that award in 2021, my mom gave me the unruly award since I came out the womb. So I've been unruly my whole life. But yeah, so when I went in 2020 to work at Knuckles Farm Elementary in Short Pumping in Rico County, the PE teacher prior to me had won a grant through the Henrico Education Foundation, which does a great job, a little blur for them in Henrico County, helping teachers become more innovative. And I love how that foundation is, has helped support teachers. But the teacher before me, a PE teacher, I got these, these splats that were really tied in with physical education and coding technology, which I thought was fascinating. So coming into the job, she had left and taken a job down south. And my principal was like, hey, we won this grant. Let's figure it out. <laughs> And it was great. It, it really was. I worked with the company and, and really got students to use technology in the PE realm, which is unheard of. And I thought that technology really helped with that. Students are so technology driven now. And whether we like it or not, that's the future of education. So much is going on with AI technology now. I just read an article with Chronicle of Higher Ed talking about how that's affecting the college environment, but it's affecting the, the K through 12 environment. And it talked a lot about it, it, it's not a matter of if we're going to figure this out, it, it's when. Right? We, we, we've got to meet the students where they are. And I felt like the coding really did it. In physical education, there's so many students and there's been a this, this stereotype of students who love it and then students who hate it. And I was like, how can I make as many students as possible love coming to this gym every single day? And the students who you know, maybe were more tech savvy or, or maybe physical education wasn't their thing. They were able to come together in a team setting and, and help with the coding aspect. And then the students who loved the physical education piece were able to get that piece of it as well. So basically what the splats are, I probably shouldn't explain that first, but if, if you step on them, they, they can light up and they compress, or I guess decompress, one of those words, and you're able to code them to, to use them in different games. So whether it's obstacle courses or four corners or all these different things where you combine coding and movement. And I just thought it was a brilliant piece of work done by the Unruly Splat Company. And I love being able to use that technology in the gym setting. I love that you were able to incorporate something as engaging as that for students who may be reluctant. Uh, I have to say I was a reluctant PE participant in my youth and I greatly value the work of the PE teacher because it may be unsung and unvalued until way later in life because big shout out to my former PE teacher, Robin Geary, who is my biggest cheerleader now that I'm a marathon runner, but you couldn't get me to participate <laughs> back in the day. So Keep up the hard work, all of our PE teachers who are doing fine, fine job. Just getting all students involved, which I think is so important. You mentioned earlier about just equitable opportunities and experiences. So I guess if if you're someone who really believes in providing the opportunity, and it seems to me across all of your experiences, that's something that you have shared, advocating for opportunity and equity. How do you address potential disparities for students who may not have that access? What are what are some tips or strategies you might share? One of my favorite quotes, and Dr. Matt Lucas here at, at Longwood, who teaches a, a lot with uh, adaptive physical education, students with disabilities, and, and how, how to get them active. My, one of my favorite quotes they always told me was, adaptive education it, it, and adaptive teaching is good teaching. And so any way that we can break things down and meet students where they are, whether it's a student with a disability or a student without a disability, it is great teaching. 
And I always found how to modify things as much as possible to, to make sure that students, not only different backgrounds, but different ability levels is a big thing in physical education. How can we get the Michael Jordan to compete with somebody who's never touched a basketball? Or how can we get the Michael Phelps to compete with somebody who, who can't swim? And so being able to you know, really differentiate instruction you know, it, it, it's, it's so critical. And I always thought from the perspective of, now I don't have kids, but I always thought if this was my child, how would I want them to be taught? If I was standing in that classroom, how would I want instruction to be to be modified for them or differentiated from them? And I felt like when I was going through the planning process of my units, that was really beneficial in that thought process. And from a leadership perspective, it's the same way when you have people you're supervising. It's, hey, this person may work better in this environment. This person may work better in this environment. How can we get the best results meeting them where they are? And I think that was helpful along the way. I, I agree with you 100%. And I appreciate that you've given so much time and thought and commitment to equity and to access and both in pre-K-12 and in higher ed. And I happen to know that your future is bright and that you have some some more work to do. And excitedly, you are looking to the future perhaps for a doctoral program. So tell me about how you might take what you've done here, everything that you've learned across your pre-K-12 experience, your higher ed experience, and your grad program here at Longwood and shape that into some doctoral research and, and a new pathway in the future. Again, my path has taken a couple turns, right? But we found our way. And so I still want to do doctoral research. It just might look a little different than, than what I wanted to do a few years ago. So I grew up wanting to be a school superintendent. My, my mom's currently a school superintendent in Clow Heights. And then my grandfather was a school superintendent in Kentucky. So I've got a lot of, and my father was a teacher as well. So I've got a lot of education background in the family, but from an advancement side of things and K, K through 12 was a passion of mine, but I've really found a love for higher education and, and, and educating you know, college students for their professions is I've really found unique ways to combine fundraising with how to help improve K through 12. And right now I'm working with a a foundation that has a passion for a specific county in the Commonwealth. And we're figuring out ways how that foundation can fund how to help get more teachers in the classroom and how we can help keep teachers, retain teachers. And so I've really found a passion for that as well, where I can combine the two of higher ed work with K through 12 work and still advancing the future of K through 12 and making sure teachers are, are well, not only paid, respected uh, in the field. So as far as doctoral work goes, I want to continue seeing from a higher ed perspective, how can we improve the retention efforts across the Commonwealth uh, from a fundraising perspective? I listened to a great TED talk uh, on fundraising a couple of months ago, and it said, as much as sometimes we hate to hear it, a lot of times without money, you're not going to be able to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish, right? A nonprofit with zero dollars is not going to be able to accomplish what a nonprofit with a million dollars can accomplish regardless sure. of how well, regardless of how well their intentions are. And so it, it's really a humbling experience to get to work with foundations and individuals from a philanthropic perspective and see how we can uh, improve K through 12 education for the future in, in such a, a difficult landscape. The work you are doing and aspire to do, it's both timely and relevant and so incredibly important. And so I love how you're able to weave all of the different experiences and learning that you've achieved over the past many years to fashion it in a way that continues to do good, 
in the Longwood community, in the Commonwealth, and certainly beyond. And I, for one, expect great things from you, Kevin Napier. You are already setting the world on fire already in your endeavors. And so I can't wait to see where your pathways take you next. So I just want to thank you for being here with us today, for your willingness to share your unique perspectives, for your continued love of Longwood, and just wish you all the best in all that you continue to do. And we can't wait to hear what's next. Thank you so much, Dr. T.A. You're the best. Go Longwood. And remember the time to get a graduate degree is now. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Longwood GradCast Beyond the Degree. We hope these stories have sparked motivation and empowerment, shining a spotlight on the incredible potential within Longwood's graduate and professional studies community. Leadership is in our blood. Is it in yours? We're here to support your educational journey and career aspirations. To explore our graduate programs and professional endorsement, head over to our website at longwood.edu slash gradprograms.